Who would like to hear God speak tonight? Anyone out there? Show of hands. I find when we do stuff, when we act, when we actually demonstrate stuff, there's something... Cool, thank you. Uh, there's something that like, activates in us, eh? something about faith. Like when we worship God expressively and demonstratively, there's actually something... We can sing about breaking chains, but when we actually go beyond in our expression... I believe that actually there's spiritual chains that actually break. And so tonight, I'm going to preach slightly differently because I've just felt God say something (laughs) that hopefully will come across. But uh, I preached this morning and uh, people came to me afterwards and said, yeah, you would say one thing and, and, and that what you said would spark a whole bunch of other thoughts in me and God started to speak to me. And that's, that's been my prayer for this message. So, if you have an expectation that God could truly speak to you tonight for whatever situation you might be in, why don't you raise both hands and just pray? And you want that. Jesus, you said that your sheep will know you, that they will know your voice. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that every hand in this room tonight has a different need, they're in a different place, they have different expectations, they've got different experiences of you, they have different levels of maturity and different number of years that they've walked with you, yet you know every detail, you know everything about their lives, you know their stories, you are the author of their lives. So Lord, I pray that your grace would be upon your word tonight and you would minister and you would speak your life, your living and active word, into the hearts and the spirits of your people tonight. That you would activate us, that you would inspire us, that you would motivate us, you would strengthen us and encourage us. That we would walk into your plans and your purposes. So thank you, Lord, for an expectation to hear your amazing word tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been looking at encounters with Jesus from the beginning of this year. And uh, we've kind of been going... Th- we're going from next week. We're going into like a vision mode, talking about go and uh, and the whole kind of where are we going as a church. So I'm, I've been trying to like transition us this week from where we've been to where we're going, and uh, I felt to look at the life of Elijah. Now Elijah was an amazing prophet. If you've been around church for a while, you would know about Elijah uh, in the Old Testament. If you haven't, if you're new. Elijah's a good guy to study, to read about, to, to learn about. He's a powerful man of God. He did amazing things. So we're going to kind of look through three chapters. 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. And, and pick out five points that uh, from Elijah's life for us as a church that I feel for us corporately we need to learn. And I, I, I trust that we can, it'll, it'll inspire us, encourage us even in our own personal capacities. Is that okay? It's going to be like a bit of a shotgun. That's okay, because we're all expected for God to speak into our spirits, right? Is that cool? You ready? The word of God never returns to him void. And uh, I thought, what, Lord, what, what do I title this message? What, what is it actually about? Because for me, I was just reading and going, okay, there's a point, there's a point. Do they connect? Is this a polished sermon? No. But who cares? Jesus, speak. <laughs> Jesus, I want your word. I want you to change me. And so, 
Basically, if I had to put a title to this message, it would be being a well in the wasteland. Being a well in the wasteland. There is no well in these stories, and there is no wasteland in these stories. But can we be spiritual wells in a spiritual wasteland? I believe that's what Elijah was in his day. So I'm going to kind of spit out a verse. We'll read the verse and then make some comments. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33, says this. It says, Ahab, the king of Israel at that time, also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Okay. So Elijah's living in a time where there is a king named Ahab, and he's the most wicked king that Israel have ever had, and he's, he's the guy that's provoked the Lord to anger more than any other king. So there's a time where there is wickedness in the land. There is wickedness. Now, do we live in a world where there is wickedness? Yes. Okay. And so Elijah has his first encounter with this king Ahab in 17 verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbat from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So... Now you've got this wicked king and he happens to be married to a very popular lady named Jezebel. Ladies, if you've ever been called a Jezebel, I apologize. She's not a nice lady. You should maybe talk to that person and just say, wow, like, what, what have I done? Right, Jezebel has got this reputation, even today. Not a nice lady. She's the lady that killed off all the prophets. And we'll get there in the story where we find out Elijah was the last one, the last man standing of all the prophets of God. These guys had just killed off all the prophets. And so Ahab and his amazing wife Jezebel, great team. And the first encounter that this prophet Elijah has with this powerful but wicked man is this. He says, because of your wickedness, there's going to be no rain or dew in the land. There is going to be a drought. There's going to be a famine. How do you like me now? <laughs> and uh, imagine that's your first encounter, that's your introduction to the king of the time. And so the blessing of God is withheld. People are not living in the blessing of God. And so the first point of my five tonight is people's need for God. People's need. People are living in a spiritual famine, spiritual drought, where there is no water to drink. They are desperate. They are starved of God, the one they were created to know, the one they were created to, to breathe in, the one who, gave them, who gives them life. They do not know him and therefore have no life. People's need. The blessing of God, the blessing that God the Father is wanting to lavish on his people People are starved of it because of the wickedness that is in the world. We have to understand the desperate, the desperate times we live in. We have to understand. We have to understand that Rich often says this. He says, for the church, for the, for the sons and daughters of God, this world is as bad as it's ever going to get. For, the, for, for those that are, for the orphans, for those that do not know their Heavenly Father, that do not know Jesus Christ, this world is, is as good as it's ever going to get. Because in the church resides the presence of God. 
One day when the church is with him in the new heavens and the new earth, and the earth is rid of the complete presence of God, there is only going to be wickedness. And that's called hell. The absence of God. The absence of God's goodness. The absence of his presence. We have to understand that people that do not know Jesus are desperately in famine. Desperately thirsty for the life of this amazing God that we get to serve. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 to 16 it says, uh, it says Beca- uh, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. How's that? Remember, the darker the darkness, the brighter the light shines. So, as we become pure and and blameless children of God without fault, amidst a crooked and depraved generation in which we shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life, the word of God. That is what we are... We don't just say, oh, shame, the world's so needy, the world's desperate, and we go, oh, shame, anyway. No, we are here to shine God's amazing, glorious light into the darkness. And so, point two. Let's move on. And we'll read 17, verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Yeah, so you've just confronted a king. You've just said, okay, because of your wickedness, there's going to be no rain or dew. Basically, you've pronounced the judgment of God on him. Time to run. (laughs) So God says, go to the Kerith Ravine, and I'm going to sort you out. Drink from the brook. Famine. No water. No dew. Yet God says, drink from the brook. And I'm going to send ravens, and you're going to eat meat and bread in the morning, and meat and bread in the evening, because I'm sending ravens to feed you. The second point is, what do we have? What we have. Do we know what we have as sons and daughters of God, that in the famine, that in the darkness, we can know the provision of God? Now, ravens throughout the Bible are, 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 are not good things. They're not white doves. When Jesus got baptized, he didn't come out of the water. There came a raven and sat on his. A raven does not signify the Holy Spirit. Ravens are scavengers. I want to say, who of you here feel like you're in famine? Feel like things have dried up? And you would love... God, to come and imagine Jesus came to you right now, looked you in the eye and he said, here, drink from the brook. Do we believe that that can happen in this moment? So if you are here right now and things have dried up, maybe in your heart, maybe you've, you've got dry. With, every, with us, we're chilling right as we are. Raise both hands. I'm going to pray for you. We're all going to pray for you. If you would like to, if you, if you want to say, Jesus, I want to drink from your brook, 
Put up both hands. We're going to pray. No shame. <laughs> this is God. This is, this is church. We're in the presence of God. We hunger for God together. Our hunger for you to encounter him. Our hunger for you to drink from his brook. And so, Lord, right now, we say we're thirsty for you. We're thirsty for your living water. We say where there is famine, I say bring the flood. Bring the flood of your mercy, the flood of your grace, the flood of your supernatural power. Bring the flood, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and fill us up, that we would drink, we would be refreshed, we would be sustained. Right now, right now, bring your love. Wash over us that waterfalls. The king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. He is my song. So right now, I pray refreshing over every person with their hands raised. Refreshing and grace and love and mercy and provision. I pray for those that maybe even in their businesses, things have dried up and they need your provision. I pray provision in the famine. Miraculous, supernatural provision in the famine. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let your water come. We want to drink from your brook. Lord, I pray that your provision would come from the most unlikely sources, like the ravens. The most unlikely sources that would carry the goodness of God with them, like the ravens. I I pray, use the ravens, use the unlikely sources to usher in your goodness, that your goodness would manifest in the lives of these people with their hands raised. We trust you, Heavenly Father. We trust you. We trust you, Lord. Awesome. Let's continue. Let's read from uh, chapter 17, verse 12. Elijah moves on and he goes to stay with a widow. And this is how the story unfolds. He, 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 he gets to the widow and he says, please, please can I have a piece of bread? Please can you? How's a section? I need some food. And uh, so... Verse 12, she responds to him. As surely as the Lord, your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we, that we may eat it and die. Be encouraged. But how's that for hopelessness? How's that for absolute hopelessness? This is, I've only got this. You're asking me for bread. I'm literally about to make me and my son our last meal, and then we're going to die. But you want it. (laughs) So he says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Do you feel like, God, you're asking me to give you what I have, but what I have is not enough. This is is all I have left and we're going to have this and die. I don't know if you're there yet. Hopefully never get there. But uh, 
you might you seem des- you're desperate. You're desperate to cling to the the remnants of what you have. And here the man of God says, "Give me what you have." And God would say, "Give me what you have." Can you trust God with the little that, that you have that you feel is not enough even for you? And what, what happens? In the famine, throughout the famine, throughout the drought, throughout the dryness, she never runs out. She never runs out until the rain comes and the drought is gone. And God sustains her through the dry times. God sustains her. And so, tonight, I want to pray for more of you. If you feel, God, you're asking me to trust you with everything I have. You're ask, asking me to open up your hands. Maybe you're struggling to open up your hands because you just have to cling on to the last of what you have. I want to tell you about a father who loves you and who, if he can, he says, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, listen, if the birds aren't worried about their, their clothing, or no, if the flowers don't worry about their clothing, the birds aren't worried about their food, how much more valuable are they? All of these things are going to be added to you. Seek first my kingdom. I will take care of you. You can trust me. If you want to respond to that word this evening and just say, Lord, I open my hands. You are a good father. You're never going to let me down. You are good, always. Let's take this moment. Again, I want to reiterate. When we do something physical as a, as a response and expression of what's going on inside of our hearts, I believe there's some sort of spiritual action that takes place. So if you're in that place, you say, God, I want to trust you. I want to open up my hands with the little that I have, believing that I will never run out because you are good. Do that. Let's open up our hands. If you're in that place. Father, we declare you are good. Father, we declare that we trust you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up our hands, I pray for your miraculous provision. I pray that as we pour out what we have, as we're generous with what we have, Lord Jesus, I pray that there would be testimonies that come forward of, wow, this just never runs out. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. I can't give away enough because it keeps coming. I pray for testimonies of the faithfulness and the generosity of our Heavenly Father in our lives. I pray for breakthrough. I pray for your provision, Lord Jesus. I pray for your provision. So, Lord, we give ourselves to you. We give all we have to you. We say we trust you. You are a good, good father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We move on. We read from verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Boom, how about that? In the famine, where there is death, are we givers of life? My Bible tells me in Ephesians chapter 1 that we, are, we have resurrection power inside of us. 
If you have been water baptized, you have told everyone that was there that day that you have resurrection power inside of you. Are you with me? You made a public declaration that I died with Jesus. And then because of Jesus' resurrection power that is at work within me, I was raised to life and I live with resurrection power. Which means when I walk into a situation where there is death and there is hopelessness, I can bring resurrection life and hope into that situation. This boy died. But because Elijah was there, he lived. And we've had words over the over this, the period of this year, that we will be moving into a season of seeing signs and wonders. Signs and wonders don't generally just happen. Signs and wonders follow a community of faith who are willing to step out of the boat, step out of what they've ever seen before, and trust God for unnatural things to happen, supernatural things to happen. If we want to see healings take place, if we want to see the dead raised... Where's it going to start? For me, I can't expect to lay my hands on a sick person, never mind a dead person, and see the life of God bring healing if I'm not a person who speaks the life of God. Proverbs, figure out, Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Which means I can speak life, and my words can speak life and there can be fruitfulness that comes out because I've spoken life into a person or a situation or a nation or a church. Or I can speak death into all of those things. And the fruit that was just budding can actually start to die. So if in my personal life I'm speaking death, and yet I want to release life through my hands because I want to see the miraculous signs and wonders of God. Salt water and spring water, fresh water cannot come from the same spring. I want to say to us, if you're not trusting for signs and wonders, you should start. <laughs> and if you're trusting for signs and wonders, make sure you're speaking life, not death. Cool? Are we givers of life? Do we trust for the life of God to break into dead situations? Can we raise the dead? Literally and figuratively. Number three, point number three. Elijah goes back to the king, King Ahab, and he obviously, he's got to stand before him and he says, listen, okay, you guys have these prophets. You've killed off all God's prophets, and you worship this God, Baal. Wicked. I, w I believe it's kind of like, I don't know, it's just darkness. <laughs> darkness. Dabbling in the dark realm. And um, they've got 450 prophets of Baal, and Jezebel and Ahab dig these guys. These guys are the champs. Basically, these wicked dudes that are dabbling in I would imagine, all sorts of sorcery and wickedness. And so Elijah, the last man standing, the last prophet of God, stands before the king and says, okay, cool. I'm not, I'm not hiding. I'm standing before you. And in chapter 18, verse 21, it says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So he says, let's have a contest. So many of you will know the story, but some of you might not. So I'll, I'll tell it quickly. He says, 
Why don't you 450 prophets of Baal, create a sacrifice, build an altar, and then take an animal, take a like, big ox, put it on the, on the altar, and you call out to Baal, your God, and ask him to consume the sacrifice. And if he consumes the sacrifice, we're like, wow, Baal is God. Give it a good go, and then I'll do the same. And so these prophets of Baal, 450 of them, are going all day. They're like dancing around. They're doing all sorts of chants. They're running around this sacrifice. They're calling out to Baal. Come and consume the sacrifice. They cut it. They start to cut themselves. They get desperate. They're going nuts. And they go all day. And Elijah, this picture is funny. Elijah is standing there. The Bible can be funny, by the way. Elijah is standing there. He's mocking them. So maybe Baal's like having a dose or something. <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe he's on holiday. He's literally like mocking them. And eventually he says, all right, you guys have had your turn. Like give it a rest. I can only take so much cutting in one day. It's revolting. Sort yourselves out. Get some Superman plasters from the back of the auditorium. Uh, and then he says, my turn. So he builds his altar. Puts stones around it. And he builds like a trough around it. And he says, now pour buckets. They just pour buckets of water over the sacrifice. Water, water, water. Eventually, like, this whole trough is filled up with water. He stands back and he says, God, do your thing. And God comes, boom, fire from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. And then he goes ahead and kills 450 prophets, single-handed. Casual. Just another day at the office, Elijah. We as Christians... We don't get to allow the spiritual climate to continue to be the spiritual climate. Cool, you're all into wickedness. You're all leading each other into oppression. You're all rejecting Jesus, your only hope, and you're just getting dominated by darkness more and more. And you wonder why your families are breaking up and you're losing your jobs and you've got no direction, no purpose, and you hate each other. <laughs> we don't get to just stand back. Cool, but we're okay at church. I'm, I'm having a good life. My family's good. I pick, we've just painted our picket fence even whiter. It's all good. Elijah, single-handedly, stood before the king and then stood before, before 450 prophet, wicked prophets and he confronted the spiritual climate of his day and God came through. It is our job to confront the spirit. We've got to do something about it. People are desperate. We need to know the need. We need to do something about it. So straight after that, remember he said to Ahab, there's going to be no rain, no dew. It's going to be completely dried up until I say so. Uh, and so what happens straight after that? 18 verse 41. Straight after that, they all slaughtered in the valley. Bwah! Verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, the, the mountain, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back, go look again. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, 
He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. We'll comment on that in a minute. But all these prophets are slaughtered. Elijah looks at Ahab and he says, Sound of heavy, I hear the sound of heavy rain. It's coming. And now these three questions are basically what prompted this whole message. That's what, what kind of brought me to, to preaching through Elijah's kind of experiences. But these, I want to major on these three questions. What do you hear? So there's been drought. There's been no rain. There's been no life. The blessing of God has been withheld. You see God break in. And the spiritual climate has been shattered. God has broken in. He says, I hear the sound of heavy rain. What do you hear? Are you listening to what everyone else is listening? Or can you hear through it all, through the noise, can you hear the word of God? Can you hear the promise of God? Can you, can you hear him say, I'm coming. <laughs> my kingdom is coming. My purposes, I'm outworking my purposes. This is, this is what I want you to do. I'm with you. Keep going. Are you hearing him? Are you hearing? That person there needs me. Here is a word. This is what I want to say to them. This is their situation. Are you, what are you hearing? There is the sound of heavy rain. The next one, he sends a servant out to go and have a look seven times, back and forth, back and forth. What do you see? Eventually, see a cloud the size of a man's hand which is not exactly, I'll say it again, I said it this morning, thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. A cloud the size of a man's hand rising up over the sea is not exactly everyone go, make sure your cars are undercover, get indoors, you know? Yet, for Elijah, he recognized this is the move of God coming. This is the blessing of God coming. I see what God's about to do. It's not here yet, but it's coming. Do you recognize the activity of God. Do you, do you recognize when, what, when the, the fruition of God's word is on its way, it's about to bloom? Do you recognize it before or are you waiting? Are you waiting? Okay, God, like, I'm the rain. Like, do you, do, you, do you need to be running to your car in the hail before you recognize? <laughs> or can you, like Elijah said, it's coming? Do you recognize it? We as a church, we, we're going. <laughs> we we want to be those that are following God. We are on a trajectory that is in line with the, the hundred-something-year trajectory of this church. I want to say that if we were to stay, we would not be on the same trajectory. We are, we are moving with God. And uh, can you see the cloud the size of the man's hand? Can you see what God is doing before he does it? Can you recognize this is the word of God, this is the fruition of God's word? He's speaking. Or do you need to wait to, to be soaked before, it hap- before you recognize it? A people of faith. Can you taste the foretaste? What do you believe is the third question. How much do you have to see before you believe. Move on in the story very quickly. 18 verse 46. Oh, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and he, tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Ahab was on a chariot. 
The power of the Lord came upon Elijah. I don't know how old Elijah was. I don't know how big his beard was. But he tucks in his cloak, into his belt, and off he goes. <laughs> Horses. <laughs> I believe that there's an acceleration coming upon us as a church. An acceleration into the purposes of God. That God has said, you have, you have, been, you have stayed for long enough. There's been enough consolidating. There's been enough building towards each other. There's an acceleration saying, go, go. And you will see my power come upon you. We've seen it. We have seen it. This year has been an insane year. I, I reckon of 117, 118 year history, this year is one of, has been one of the most significant years that this church has ever experienced. We have seen the power of God break in. There is an acceleration into the purposes of God. Do you want to be left behind or are you saying, God, I want to run ahead of the chariots? Whenever there's an acceleration, we see the opposition from our enemy. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel, his stunning wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So uh, talking about the prophets of Baal, he had done that. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make you like, your life like that of one of them. So basically she threatens him that she's going to kill him. Words of kindness. She must have been a great mother. Uh, when there's an acceleration into the purposes of God, when we see God start to do some incredible stuff, and when we're walking in it and we're running into it, opposition is always going to come. So don't be afraid. Our enemy comes to intimidate us so that we don't walk into the purposes of God. So the moment we say, okay, well, I've hit my head on the, the block um, this far no further, he's won and he's intimidated us. When, when we see opposition, it needs to... Make us run faster, run harder, get more hungry to see God do his thing. So I want to encourage us with that. We can live our lives in fear and, and say, okay, well, I'm never going to do anything cool for God. I'm, he, can, he can go without me. And we live way outside the plans and the destiny that God has for our lives. Man, I want to be someone who's at the forefront of what God is doing. I want to run fast at everything that he, want, that he has for me. And I want us as a community to do the same. Don't be intimidated. Let it inspire you and motivate you and give you a righteous anger to go harder and go faster. Come with us. Let's read quickly. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This is what not to do. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went today's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Yes. Kill me, please, basically. And uh, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Again, what not to do? He gave up. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. 
the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights and on he went with his journey. Here we see, we hit a wall. We can't go any further. We're intimidated. We're scared for our lives. Lord, too much has happened. The cost is too great. I can't do this anymore. I'd rather just come to church on a Sunday. When I know you've actually called me to advance your kingdom, the kingdom of light would penetrate the kingdom of darkness in this world. But that cost is too great. It's too hard. I can't do it anymore. And God would come and he sends an angel. The angel comes, picks, wakes us up, picks us up, and he feeds us, and he sustains us, and he gives us strength. Any time in the, in the scriptures when God would call someone to, to take the inheritance, he would see, say, be strong and courageous. So God sends his angel to literally strengthens with food, be strong, and take courage. Here's the journey that God wants you to t- uh, continue on. Be strong and courageous. Can we expect... That an angel, that something that is from heaven, would break into our hopeless situation where we've given up and said, God, it's too much for me. Can we expect that heaven would break into earth and give us strength and courage and grace and enabling power to continue our journey? We're going to need it. If we're going to be a significant church for our city, we're going to need his enabling power. We're going to be saying, God, we need the presence of your Holy Spirit. We need you to empower us. We need your grace because we cannot do this in our own strength. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. So God comes to him and he says, I want to, sh- I want to reveal myself to you. And so there he goes, he's, he's there and he's waiting for God to speak to him and reveal himself. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Okay. Firstly, Elijah's waiting for God to speak. How many of you have experienced this? Wind tears the mountain apart. Must be, like looking for, that must be the answer. Earthquake, must be the answer. God, you have to speak to me in an earthquake. Fire. Whisper. God speaks to him. Why do you think God wants to whisper to us? He wants us to come close. And where Elijah is now saying, what am I supposed to do? I can't go any further. I don't know. God says, come. And he whispers to him. There's intimacy. And he tells him his next steps. Now, this is what you need to do. Go and anoint that guy king over that thing and this guy king over this thing and then pass your mantle as a prophet onto the next guy, Elisha. Are you looking for your next steps? Have you got major decisions? Have you got a direction change ahead of you that you're saying, God, you're looking for the earthquake, you're looking for the wind, you're looking for the fire, but actually you're just saying, come. Come into my presence. I will give you your next steps. 
Finally, and very, very quickly, Elisha. Basically, God says to Elijah, all right, it's time to hand over your mantle. This amazing man of God, this man of extreme power, honestly one of the most powerful men in the Bible. Uh, and uh, he says, okay, time to hand your mantle on to the next guy, Elisha. And so he finds Elisha. Elisha is like, wow, yeah, I'll be your apprentice. I'll be your guy. And he leaves everything behind and he follows Elijah. And it comes to a point in Second Kings chapter 2. Two, verse 9 and 10. All right. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Elisha's response. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. So I don't know if you know this about Elijah. Elijah didn't like die and get buried in a coffin. And Elijah was literally standing there and a chariot of fire came from heaven. He got into the chariot of fire and off he went to heaven. Yes, please, Lord. That's the way to go. I'll take a, like a, a limo vibe, a fiery limo. Straight up. But how's that? So Elijah says, okay, what, what do you want? What can, before I, I'm, I'm going to be taken away, but before I go, what do you want from me? Elisha could have asked anything, but he says, I want what you got. I want a double portion of your spirit, a double portion of what you have. So he's like, I recognize and I honor what God has given you. I recognize what you have and I want that. But man, I want to contend for more as well. And so I want to speak to generations. We, we don't want this thing to die with us, do we? There are generations that have come before us that have not allowed this thing to die with them. We don't want it to die with us. This gospel needs to keep going. The life of God needs to keep flowing. And so the older generation, will you leave a double portion for the generation to come? Will you leave more than what you were given for them? And I want to say that the older generation has done that. And I want to say to the younger generation, sometimes we can like be like the prodigal son. Can I have my inheritance now? I want to go squander. I want to go do. So they take, we, we want to take what we've been given and then just spend it on nothing. But actually, we say, actually, we've seen, we recognize what God has done through you. We honor what, what God has done in you and through you and your faithfulness. We honor your faithfulness. We see it, and we want what you have. Our forefathers in this church, we want what they have and what they had. And we thank them, and we say, but we're not going to take that and be like the, the servant who buries it in the ground and keeps it there. We want to double it. We need to honor our forefathers. And for Elisha to get that, he had to stick around. He was like, if you are with me when I go, you will get it. But if you bail on me, you won't get it. So Elisha clung to Elijah's leg. Like, ah. 
you're not going without me. And he got it. And we are fit just into the millennial bracket. Just squeeze in there. And uh, powerful. And we kind of like to do our own thing. We like uh, not big on commitments, not big on kind of a loyalty kind of thing. We'll go here, we'll go there. We'll like just don't don't put pressure on me. I want to do my own thing. I want to say there is a there is an there's honor is a real thing. We honor our forefathers, and we say we're not going anywhere. We're gonna we commit to this journey. We we're in. We're in for the long haul. We're not going to bail on you. We're not like you say one thing, oh, I don't like that, I'm out. But actually, no, we honor you, we fight with you, and we'll be there when you go. We'll be standing next to you. Then we get the inheritance that they fought for, and we get to double it. Is that cool? We, I said it last week. There has been a Moses generation in this church that has seen leaders lead this church through the Red Sea, and they've seen the, the miraculous of God parting the waters and seen a community of people march through the water. I believe that we get to be a part of a Joshua generation where there are new leaders who are leading the community into their inheritance. That is a cool thing. <laughs> and you can stand on the outside and go, cool, off you go, go for it. Or you can say, I'm in. I'm in for this story I'm in for this church stepping into the inheritance. You may have been here for 150 years, in which case you're doing very well. Or you may have been here for one week. I want to say, if you are here tonight, if you are part of this community right now, you get to be a part of something significant in the history of the city, never mind this church. And so we're in exciting times. And again, I don't know what the point of this message is. <laughs> it's, it's kind of shotgun out there. But I believe that God wanted to speak through these stories. And I believe that, may, that one person might have heard one thing and hopefully God would have ministered to you in one thing and someone could have heard something completely different, but God ministered to you. I believe that corporately as a church that God has us on a journey and we need to take up that mantle. Is that cool? Can we stand? I'd love to pray for us.